You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. sing that song hallelujah it always gets me ready to go in the morning and prayerfully you're ready to hear the Lord speak to you this morning Uh, of course uh, you always uh, have to begin your day with a great prayer and uh, you know one of my uh, great prayer spots uh, in London of course is Golders Green Park Uh, I love to pray there and, uh, of course, we are so grateful being here in, uh, in London. I remember uh, before coming to London, uh, my prayer spot was Hollywood Hill. And, uh, you know, you got the big Hollywood sign there. And I just thought, hey, man, for all the flash and dash, let me go up there and pray. And I would go up there and I would pray. And uh, in the mornings, it was great. You see the big sunset and everything. And uh, after a while of praying up there, I used to hear this interesting sound in the bushes, you know, because there's all these bushes. And you and get up there and you're praying out to God. And, of course, California. California is a desert. And so as you're praying, you're giving your heart. And, you know, I'd always hear this kind of, the bushes kind of rattling, this little shh, little sound like that. And I thought, ah, oh, no big deal. Uh, next day you come up there, you're giving your prayer, you hear the sound again, shh. Next day you're giving your prayer, you hear the sound, it gets a little bit louder, shh. I found out after about five or six months going on up there that that sound that I was hearing was the sound of a rattlesnake. It was the sound of a rattlesnake, and it freaked me out. I was a little afraid to go up there and pray from then on, but I'm still praying to the Lord. What frightens you? What is it that frightens you? Proverbs chapter 2. Please turn over there as we dig into our lesson today. You know, I went online to find out what makes people afraid. Of course, I bet a rattlesnake would have you afraid as well. And I found out from a bunch of different resources that there are a lot of things that make us afraid on a daily basis. And one one, one website, of course, these scientists come up with all these specific detailed technical analysis that they've done all over the world as to what it is that frightens people. And I'll give you their top ten things that make people afraid. Number one, the dentist. Can you believe that people get afraid to see someone as is, 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 is awesome as Jeanette Grinwald right there? They think of seeing Jeanette and they, I mean, it doesn't make them leap for joy to know they're going to the dentist. That's number one. Number two, dogs. Dogs get people afraid. Even MJ, everyone knows MJ's afraid of dogs. Contrary to popular opinion, dogs aren't necessarily always man's best friend. Number three, airplanes. Airplanes. Okay, MJ's getting nailed again. Airplanes just get people frightened to, to get on that plane. And, you know, for some people, there's no such thing as friendly skies right there. 25 million people around the world are deathly afraid to get on a plane. Number four, thunder and lightning. That gets you a little afraid. Number five, the dark. People are just afraid of the dark. I don't know who the boogeyman is, but that guy has got people frightened. I've never figured out where he's come from, but he gets you going right there. Number six, heights. Height, uh, my wife is saying yes right there. We went on that London Eye when we came on over here. I've never seen her submit to me being the leader like she did that day. She grabbed my arm right there, just like this. We were way up there looking out over everything, and whoo, 
boy, you get up high, that can get you afraid. That's number six. Number seven, public speaking. Some people can get afraid of just what you're going to say, and the fear can come on over there. Uh, Number eight, being trapped. 1.8 million people are definitely afraid of being trapped in an elevator, being trapped in a situation, being trapped where there's a lion and you. I mean, that would get you a little afraid right there. Number nine, spiders. Spiders get you afraid. Now, one of the one of the brothers has a tarantula here. See, some of you got afraid just right there. You got afraid. Spiders get you afraid. And number ten, the thing that gets people going the most, snakes. Snakes get you going. Of course, you heard my story early. I'm still afraid of snakes. Went through this list, I started going, man, these are some things that get people afraid. There's all kinds of things that get us afraid. Clowns. <laughs> Michael Adrian just does not like clowns. You bring a clown out on Michael Adrian, he just he just <laughs> packed that thing on up right there. He's never seen Chucky or anything. He's just afraid of clowns. <laughs> Conflict, suffering, rejection, failure. Fear is used as a motivating factor, and we are all afraid of something. You guys with me here? But as I went through the list, and I saw everything on that list, there was one thing that was not on the list, and that is the Almighty God. God is not on the top ten of who you fear. Why? Scientists put it together. And it doesn't scientifically make sense to fear the Lord put before you, it makes spiritual sense, biblical sense, and it determines where you will end up destiny-wise if you don't have the fear of the Lord. Are you guys with me here? That's the title of our lesson today, The Fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 2. The Fear of the Lord. You know, a lot of times you even hear disciples say, well, bro, don't get into the fear of the Lord. We need to talk about the love of the Lord. Well, in the Bible, the love of the Lord is mentioned 88 times. You know, I love this. When we study the Bible with people, we love to get them going right there. We go, how many times does the word Christian appear in the Bible? (laughs) And we sit back, fold our hands, and say, tisk, tisk. (laughs) We know they're going to say, well, uh, you know, 12 or 13. No, 279. feel good about that and then we show them that Christians only in the Bible two three times disciples in there more and we make the point hey if you really want to know God you need to know what it means to be a disciple and we mean that we believe that the love of God is mentioned in the Bible how many times I already gave it away 88 how many times is the fear of God mentioned in the Bible how many Someone says 200. Someone says, Blaze says 300. 600. Oh, we're getting the fear of the Lord already, aren't we? The love of God is mentioned 88 times. The fear of God is mentioned 278 times. I put before you, it's the fear of God that leads to the love of God. You can't love God if you don't fear God. Don't be deceived. Proverbs chapter 2. My son accept my words store up my commands within you turning your ear to wisdom applying your heart to understand and if you call out for insight and cry aloud 
for understanding. And if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And the church said, see, the reason why scientists don't have this on their list is because it doesn't make scientific sense. It's not wise scientifically, but wisdom doesn't begin with science. Wisdom begins with fearing God. And that's the reason why scientists can't prove there is a God or not a God. They have no idea. It's because they're beginning with science. They're beginning with intellect. They're not beginning with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom starts with you fearing God. If you don't fear God, you are not wise, the Bible says right here. And this comes from the wisest fool in the Bible, Solomon. Solomon, there's question to believe whether he even made it spiritually after giving us all the distilled wisdom of the Proverbs. And he says here, it is the fear of God. That is the beginning of knowledge of God. Fearing God. Do you fear God? it the governing motivation for your relationship with God? The fact that you fear the Lord. I love all the if-then challenges that Solomon gives us here. And that's kind of a a little challenge for the if-then challenge. He says, if you accept my words, in verse 1, store my commands within you. If you're turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understand. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as silver, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. You guys with me here? See that little if-then challenge right there? How do you fear God? Well, you take the if-then challenge right there. You take it. You, number one, you've got to accept the word of God. You've got to accept the word of God. Number two, you've got to store the commands within you. You've got to have deep convictions on what the Bible teaches. You've got to have, it's got to be stored in you. He says, you got to turn your ears to wisdom. You got to apply your heart to understanding. It's not just a, a, a knowledge thing. You got to have the, the head and the heart. There's about six degrees from radical. It's, it's the distance from your head to your heart. You got to get those two connected right there. He says, and if you call out for insight, you got to pray. Cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as silver, I mean, you don't just find some silver hanging out on the street somewhere. You don't just find a piece of gold hanging. I mean, for silver, you got to dig and mine to find that silver. You don't just find a pearl hanging out on the street. I love God and his infinite wisdom. You can't find a pearl unless you get in the ocean, go all the way to the down, you got down to the bottom, you got to find that clam, and then you open that one, you don't find it. Open that one, don't find it. And then finally you get that clam and you find that little pearl right there. God doesn't put pearls right out on the street and everything. That's... And in the same way, he doesn't throw his pearls of wisdom away just like that. So if you want, I, I love what we, oh, I haven't had a good quiet time. It's because you're not taking the if then challenge and you don't fear God. The, the ish, that's the issue. You're not doing, you're not accepting the word. You're not, storm, you're not digging for it. You don't want to fear God. When I, when I start having bad quiet times, the issue is I'm, I quit fearing God. When I start having poor prayers, I'm not really crying aloud for understanding. And going to God in prayer. How are your prayers and how are your quiet times? i got to lift up the campus disciples in the London International Christian Church. i got to lift up specifically two, two young men that I was very impressed with and very proud of. It is uh, our brother Ashley Ajay and uh, Big Dan. Where's Big Dan? Big Dan's right in the front row right there. 
They gave one of the finest speeches I heard at our Friday night devotional in a long time. Ashley just talked about faith. And Big Dan talked about boldness. And Ashley was very humble about his weaknesses and his sins and getting open about all the impurities. And at the end of the day, he goes, it's all about your quiet times and your prayers. That's what it's all about. That's enough to sustain you. And as a church, we got to ask ourselves how our quiet times and our prayers are going right around this Christmas time holiday season right there when we're expecting Santa Claus to come to town. <laughs> we need to know that Jesus Christ is coming to town. Amen. And have some great prayers and some great quiet times. They did an amazing job, and I thought it was just very, very powerful what they threw out. I like what, the, what, what Solomon says here. He says, you got to dig for it as silver. You know, to have a good quiet time, you got to dig on in. It doesn't happen by you just grazing over the scriptures, saying a quick prayer, and then opening in your Bible and finding out, hey, okay, God wants me to read. No, no, you got to take some time and dig into the word of God. How many books are you reading right now to help you in your, your love of God, the fear of God? Outside of even the Bible, just to get some real deep insight, how much are you digging? I mean, are you going through past sermons? Are you really digging and trying to have that fear of God in your heart? I put before you, you got to dig to have great prayers and quiet times, and we have got to fear God. You know, how many of us have children? Okay, there we go. We got some that have children. And what do we want our children to do? We want our children to obey us, right? And we want our children to obey us. And we can even think our children obey us just because they love us. I put before you, sometimes they obey you because they fear you. You know, I grew up, uh, of course, my uh, my grandfather... uh, You know, he had a few things on right that he taught me. And he taught me the fear of the Lord. But my grandfather, he had a few things that were off. My grandfather was a very hard man. He was a very hard line man. He was pro-black and he was hard line. Everything he did was black. Everything he did was hard line. He would would just go to town about us. Every every time, look at the black birds. (laughs) Give me my black Bible right there. Oh, it's raining. It is a black day. Hand me my black shoes. He talked in a preacher's voice. Everything he said was in a preacher's voice. Give me my black shoes right there, Michael. Give them to me right there. The world is prejudiced. We go to the store, we'd be shopping around. And, uh, you know, he'd, he'd show me the olives. Look at these olives, Michael. The green olives are in a jar. The black olives are in a can. It is racial. It is racial. I forget... My grandfather, hardline dude. I remember um, I used to play around in the kitchen. I love Pop-Tarts. And uh, I figured out how to make Pop-Tarts on my own. And uh, there was this little, you know, I was a little guy. I was about seven years old, six, seven years old. And I climb up on this escalator, or not escalator, but a a little uh, uh, step. And I climb up, and I put the Pop-Tart in the toaster, and I I get the heat going, and I toast my Pop-Tart. I'd gotten good at doing this secretly without letting anyone know, even though they told me not to do it. But see, I was getting away with it, so there was no fear. One day, I put the Pop-Tart in, and I was waiting for it to make that sound. Flip. You know how it comes out. Flip. And, and it didn't make that sound. And I thought, okay, it's just cooking. And it didn't make that sound. And then I saw my grandpa come down. I kind of hid from him. And, and I didn't realize I hid from him so long that the Pop-Tart was still in there. It caught the toaster on fire. It caught the, the kitchen cabinet on fire. It caught the second kitchen cabinet on fire. It burnt the entire kitchen down. Oh. 
burnt one of the rooms down. I burnt half the house down. Six years old. <laughs> Grandpa pulls a meeting, pulls the whole family together. Everyone's crying and thinking, what are we going to do? Who could have done this? And there's little Michael sitting there, me. And then finally, I, 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 I stepped up and said, I, I put a Pop-Tart in the toaster, Grandpa. I love you. <laughs> Let's just say we had a little talk in Jesus and all the demons came running out of my hiney. He gave me a spanking that I believe and I, I remember to this day. And uh, let me tell you something. No more burning Pop-Tarts down there for me. I, I don't even eat Pop-Tarts anymore. <laughs> my brother would say, hey, let's do something, not tell grandpa, let's not tell mom. I go, absolutely not. Grandpa will kill me. He will kill me. You said that. Absolutely not. Dad will kill me. Absolutely not. Mom will kill me. You don't go, absolutely not. I love my mom. I didn't say, I, and for me, it wasn't this thing where I grew up where I thought, oh, okay, man, I, I just want to be so obedient to my, my, my grandfather because of my great love for him. Absolutely not. My obedience was rooted in the dreaded consequences that I would get a spanking. That there was a consequence for my fear. And our obedience is rooted, should be rooted, in the fear of the Lord. The fear that if you don't live as a sold out disciple, you will not go to heaven. That there will be judgment first with the family of believers. Of course, Jesus Christ is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to check the family of believers and see, okay, let's see which ones are on the list. Which ones signed up and said they're on the list but aren't true disciples. I'm checking it twice right there and make sure. And the ones that aren't true disciples, I'm going to weed them on out of the kingdom. And only the true disciples are going to go to heaven. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? What is the fear of God? To fear God is to give honor and respect to the power he has over you. In the same way with my grandfather. I, I just gave respect and honor to the power he had over me. And it produced a love in the end. I believe that the fear of God has been dismantled through history. Yeah, you know, I've been reading some great books about history and how it relates to God and the church. And, and uh, you know, one, one book highlighted some very powerful principles. And it talked about during the 17 and the 1800s, how the Industrial Revolution, which started right here in Great Britain, how it changed the culture of people all over the world. That people went from living in small villages and going to church to living in the city and going to work. And so the fear of, of God started slowly getting dismantled out of, out, of, out of man. Then you get up to the 1800s, 1900s. Charles Darwin. The theory of evolution. That we just evolved and came into existence. I love our preacher Tim Kernan. Whenever he sees the picture of Charles Darwin and the man and the monkey and all of that thing like that, he goes, that has nothing to do with God. That's just modern art. <laughs> but Charles Darwin's theory of evolution gave people the right to live how they want to live. I didn't know this, but I didn't know that Charles Darwin believed that non-European races were inferior to Europeans. I also didn't know that Charles Darwin and his teachings were greatly, very heavily influenced in the hearts of not only Hitler, but leading Nazis during that time. The things that Charles Darwin taught. What happened after that gave birth to liberalism. Liberals. Preaching, we got to just 
anything goes. It creeped into the church. You got liberal preachers who started preaching this kind of this 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 not, not this this grandpa God, not a God our Father. You expect grandpa just to love you and encourage you and sit you on his lap and not you know he's old he's getting ready to pass away and you know that's how my grandma was at least she, she you know she's all love do something bad get a cookie do something worse get another cookie do something even worse get another cookie I mean she's just like look I only got a few years left I'm just going to encourage you. <laughs> liberals started preaching that our God is that way. That you can do whatever you want and then you get the grace of God. You get to go to heaven. You just get your little spiritual cookie right there. Liberals started using that at the pulpit. Preaching things like, I can't believe in a God that sends people to hell. Hell is just an empty threat to put fear in people. Hell is not an empty threat. And that is not the case for the unsaved. What happened next? The feminizing of God. God was introduced now as this big blob of love that doesn't matter how you live, you're just going to go to heaven. That's God. He's just all the big old blob of love. Everybody, what are you at? Do you just go to heaven. You had the emergence of people like Mary Baker who found Christian science. She teaches that you don't even call God Father. You need to say Mother God. You even see it introduced sometimes. People say Mother God, not Father God. Christian science doesn't even believe Jesus is, is, is the Lord. What happened after that? Later in the 1900s, 15, 50, 1950s, 60s, and, in, and, and obviously now, you had the emergence of what's called mega churches. These mega churches with preachers making mega money. And, uh, you know, church isn't about how much, you know, the pre. The pre you got guys now like Creflo Dollar. I mean, even his name just kind of gets me worried right there. <laughs> Creflo Dollar. I was told he's the leader of the congregation across the street from our home where we live in North London. And, you know, there's this controversy about him and whether he, he hurt his, his, his daughter recently. And it was in the news. And I, I don't know. I mean, some of the things they said about him, it doesn't seem like it was right or wrong. But the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And so I kind of went on CNN and listened to the little story right there. And he was trying to give a defense for what he was doing with his daughter. And the one thing that he couldn't defend is when he did come out of prison, he got into this huge 2011 Mercedes Benz and went home. And I just went, Wow. You're the preacher and you're driving around in a Mercedes Benz like that? These mega preachers making mega money. Benny Hinn. False teaching. He believes in necromancy. He believes you can talk to people after they're dead. He believes in a lot of Pentecostal teachings. We know that Saul was judged for trying to bring up the dead. Mega preacher making mega money. Joel Osteen will tell you that Muslims are saved and people that are homosexual can go to heaven. That's the largest church in America. Mega churches making mega money. And then, and, then, and then this book just goes into detail just talking about just the flat sin that just got into the church. I don't know if you've read online, but Harvard University now has a club for sex and bondage. And they're fighting that we need to be able to have this club. It's no longer an institution to learn, but it's now become an impure institution where people are flocking to sign up on this club that, that promotes bondage and sex. People are truly in bondage and enslaved to their sin. What's the point? The fear of God has been dismantled. The fear of God has been dismantled. 
the fear of God the governing principle of your life? Is the fear of God the governing principle you put in the life of your children, your friends? That we've got to be close to God, respect him as God Almighty, and fear him. Are you guys with me here? The world uses fear all day long. You see the commercials. If you don't eat right, you're going to die. You don't wear your safety belt, you're going to die. You don't go to uni, you're going to end up a bone. The world uses fear all the time. I'd rather be scared into heaven than loved into hell. I'd rather be scared into heaven than to get loved on into hell. Do you fear God? No one is promised tomorrow. No one. We've got to be a church that fears God. We've got to be men that fear God. We've got to be women that fear God. You guys still with me here this morning? In Exodus chapter 20, the Bible says this in verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will keep you from sinning. He doesn't say so that the love of God, he says the fear of God keeps you from sinning. Psalms chapter 36 in verse 1. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear before, fear of God before his eyes. And it goes on to talk about flattering yourself too much to detect or hate your own sin. The fear of God. Psalms chapter 31, verse 19. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you in the shelter of your presence you hide them from the intrigues of men in your dwelling you keep them safe from the accusing tongue goodness doesn't come to everyone the bible says goodness comes to those who fear the lord sometimes we want goodness to come our way yet we don't live lives in reverence and fear of god psalms chapter 25 Verse 12. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in a way and choose for him. He will spend his days in prosperity. And his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. He says God doesn't make his covenant known to everyone. Only those who fear him. God doesn't confide in everyone. Only those who fear him. It says God instructs those who fear him. Other translations say that God shares his secrets with those who fear him. The same, same, same passage. It says that God shares his secrets with those who fear him. You know, I, I love the fact, and this, that part hit me, is the fact that God has given us the secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom of God. He's given us the secrets of what it means to be saved and what it means to be lost. God has given it to us. A very people that do not deserve it. We aren't entitled to it. But yet God has said, I'm going to choose that group to know the true doctrine. I'm going to reveal myself to them. I believe it's because we are, we're, we're a group, we're a movement that fears God. We've got to continue fearing God. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear, <laughs> Noah built an ark 
to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. There are all types of fear. There are all types of fear, as I kind of highlighted er earlier. There's all kinds of holy fear. We'll get into it. But there's also unholy fear. Fear of man. That's unholy. That's not holy fear. That's unholy. And yet we share it sometimes as a, I feel insecure. Why do you feel insecure? You shouldn't feel insecure. And if that is a weakness, amen. But your God is greater. Your God is greater. The proverb says, hey, the man of integrity walks securely. I know when I start fearing people, it's because there's a lack of integrity in my relationship with God. It's unholy to fear man. We've got to fear God. Fear the light. Being afraid to get open about your weaknesses and sins. You know what's so powerful about our church, so powerful about our movement, is that we can get open. We can walk in the light with one another. We're not going to be judged. We're not going to be somebody to pick up and throw stones at you. We're going to relate to one another, get our weaknesses out there, and help one another, love one another. Are you with me here? But it's unholy when you're afraid to get into the light. The fear of the truth. That's where I was at before I become a Christian. I just wanted to live a lie. And yet that is unholy. That's not holy fear. That's unholy fear. The fear of failure. Just being afraid that, oh, I may mess up. Yeah, you may mess up, proving you're not perfect. And disciples aren't afraid to fail. Disciples fail forward. If you're not failing, you're not learning anything. Because there's something to learn every time you fail. You guys with me here? God is not like us. And in some sense, we are not like God. God is independent. He doesn't need us to exist. He doesn't need us. It's when we think we're God that we become independent. And we lose our fear of God. When Moses was asked who God is, God said, I am who I am. <laughs> That's it. That's enough for you. I am who I am. God is like, I am self-existent, and I am self-evident. I am God. We've got to fear the Almighty God. I've got a few points for you. Turn to Luke chapter 16. You guys still with me? Yeah. Number one, get ready to meet God. Get ready to meet God. There's one thing I want to do with my life. I want to be ready to meet God. Are you ready to meet God today? If your life is demanded of you today, are you ready to meet God? The media, advertising, and everything in the world will tell you to live every, to give yourself to everything but being ready to meet God. No matter what people say, but I'm talking about the Almighty God. Are you guys with me here? Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham farther away, uh, far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the, in the water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. The first time this guy prays is when he's in hell. He doesn't start praying until it's too late. Verse 25. 
Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed by God. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot. Nor can anyone cross over to there, from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. I wonder how many people in hell are, 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 are praying to God that he sends you to his brothers and sisters. This guy was in hell saying, please send someone who is alive to my family to share their faith. Abraham replied, <laughs> they got Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. I mean, he brings up the greatest miracle in the world, which was the resurrection. And yet God says, no, 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 no. Even the greatest miracle won't move them. It's got to be the prophets and the preaching of the word. He said to them, Eat. they don't listen to Moses and the prophets. They won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I developed probably my deepest relationship with God when my mother passed away. It was one of the most painful things that ever happened to me. And I would pray in, in a graveyard. Where I lived was near Lewis and Clark College, and that was, of course, uh, I was a single disciple, and I would go to the graveyard and I would pray. And uh, just recently I saw that there's a graveyard not too far from where we live, and I want to go there and pray. Um, and I would go there because at the time it was, it was, it was quiet. Um, no one would interrupt you. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't too many people there alive. You know, mortality rate in the graveyard still 100%. So, But I would go there and I would pray. And when my mom passed away, she was not a Christian. She was not a disciple. Not the way the Bible teaches. She did not go to heaven. And I would go there and I would pray. And it was one day where I started looking at the graveyard. And I had this thought like, I wonder if spiritually speaking, we could go to the, the front of the graveyard and just grab hold of the graveyard and roll back the entire graveyard and look down into the faces of the people that are in hell. What would they say to you? What would they say to you? horror of hell is not only the, what's graphically and biblically depicted in the Holy Bible. The horror of hell is that it is endless. It is endless. What is endless? I love Brighton Beach. And of course, you go down to Brighton Beach, they have these pebbles there. And, uh, you know, I started thinking about what endless is in God's eyes. Of course, the Bible says a thousand years are like a day, a day is like a thousand years. So endless to God would mean waiting about a thousand years, going down to Brighton Beach, picking up one of those pebbles, bringing it back to London, setting it down, waiting another thousand years, going to Brighton, picking up another piece, going back to London, setting it down, waiting another thousand years, going to, and do that until there are no pebbles on the entire beach. 
That's eternity. That's, that's forever. The, the, the issue with this guy is he never got ready to meet God. That's the issue. He never stopped to get ready to meet God. If you've come today, this message is for you. God is asking you to get ready to meet him. To get ready to truly be able to say, I'm a true Christian. I'm your servant. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. You know what fires me up today is that we've got two that are ready to meet God. They've come to be baptized today to become true disciples in the Lord right there. We got our sister Annie. Where is she at? Where's Annie at? Annie, she's sitting in the front row right She's ready to meet God. She's going to become a disciple today. And then we, we got the Malaysian invasion. Where is he at right there? there? There he is right there. We got the Malaysian invasion right there. He's come to meet God. They're going to be your brother and sister today. Are you ready to meet God? We've got to be a people that live, live our lives as if tomorrow is our last day. Because if there's one thing that unifies every single one of us in this room, it's death. We started a great Bible talk on Middlesex University. I got to share my faith with a young man, and I said, hey, why don't you, why don't you think about God? I don't want to think about God. i got to think about my studies. Okay, great. What are you going to do after you finish your studies? He says, well, I'm going to get my, my, my degree. What After that? Well, I'm going to get a great job, and I'm going to get married then. Okay, then what? Well, I'm going to have kids. Then what? He goes, why are you asking me these questions? I said, well, what happens? Well, then, then I'll retire. Then what? Well, then I'll die. Then what? What time's your Bible discussion next week, he says? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We got to be ready to meet God, guys. God asked you today, would you be ready? Would you be ready to meet the almighty God? Point number two. We need to be men who fear God. Second Corinthians chapter five. We need to be men who fear God. Verse 11. Check out what Paul says here. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God. We hope it's plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you to gain to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what's seen rather than what's in the heart. For out of our minds, it is for the sake of God. If, it's, if we're in our right mind, it's for you. Paul says, because of the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade men. Evangelism isn't all about, okay, got to bring someone to church out of duty. Want to do my good Christian duty. No, we see people and we go, wow, if I don't stay saved, if I don't stay a disciple, I'm not going to make it to heaven. And this individual isn't going to go to heaven. And so I want to persuade them. I want to persuade them to love God. I want to persuade them. If you've come today and it's your first time, let we make no, you know, hey, we are not trying to pretend. We want to persuade you to fear the Lord because we want to be men who fear God. We want to put the fear of God in our children. We want to put the fear of God in our marriages. We want to be men who fear God. You know, I love my son. He's got the fear of God. 
this morning he woke up and he, he got all excited about his quiet time and he started telling me what he's reading, the, the parable of, of, uh, of this. And he, he makes me tell him a parable each day and it's kind of cute to see him right there. And he read the parable of the, uh, the, 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 the virgins and the oil and, and he gets to the end. He goes, well, one virgin didn't have any oil. I go, what do you think that means, Mike? He goes, I don't, I don't know, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. I said, yeah, it's not too good. He's only seven years old. He's got the fear of the Lord. You know, when we, 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 we don't have the fear of the Lord. It doesn't sound too good. The fear of the Lord should persuade you to get people to follow God who loves you. Do you know that God, there's not one single sin that you can get open about that you can't be forgiven from? The Almighty God. God will forgive you of anything. Anything. Amen. Lust. Impurity. Bitterness. Anger. People won't forgive you, but God will forgive you. And that's the message we bring to the world, that you can be forgiven by God. You can be forgiven, and we try to persuade. How's the persuading going? Who'd you persuade to come with you today? How about Bible talk? Are you persuading people? We've got to be men who fear God. We've also got to be women who fear God. Can I get an amen from the women? Okay, Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. As we bring it in for a close here. The fear of the Lord. Are you a man who fears God? Are you a woman who fears God? God, let's look at the, the woman who fears God. Let's check this, let's check this sister out here. Okay, let's read this passage here about Patricia Fumba right here. I mean, the woman who fears the God. Okay. Okay. Proverbs chapter 31. It says a wife of noble character, who can find her? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her, lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works eager with her hands. Meanwhile, the Proverbs 31 wife isn't the wife that gets the luxury, the grace of staying at home. The Proverbs 31 wife, she works a job too. She's like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. I mean, the Proverbs 31 wife, she cooks for the family. You listen to the world right now, they say, you are a woman. That man should get in the kitchen. <laughs> but you have the fear of God. You understand what God calls the woman who fears of God, fears God to live like. She considers a field and buys it. Wow, she even helps with the finances. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. I mean, she's got biceps right here. <laughs> this woman is incredible. She sees that her trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. We got marrieds in the house and singles in the house, so I'll leave it right there. Amen. <laughs> in her hand, she holds the staff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy, and I'm so fired up. We got Blaze and Patricia with Mercy Worldwide who are calling us to make sure that we, we have a heart for the poor right here in the church. Amen, guys? When it snows, she has no fear of her household, for all, her, all of them are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. I mean, she takes care of herself. She doesn't just come rolling out of bed, she takes care of herself. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and 
supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She's just, she's like, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. She speaks with wisdom. She's not gossiping. She's not critical. She's not bitter. She speaks with wisdom. Faithful instruction on her. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. I mean, she is, she, she's building a ministry too. Her husband arises and calls her blessed. Her husband also, her, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also and praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, and the church said, that's the woman who fears the Lord. Are you that woman? If you heard that, you're called to be that woman. If you're not that woman, it's okay. Don't get depressed. Get blessed right there. And learn from Solomon, who had a few things to say here, that you can be a woman who fears the Lord. You want the you want the reward? You, 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 what does he say? He says, says give her, says give her the reward she has earned. Doesn't say she gets it because she's you know I'm Z formation. I'm a woman. You deserve you. <laughs> Respect me. I know Aretha Franklin wrote the song R E S P E C T. Right, here, the Bible says you got you you, you got to be a wife of noble character. All right. You got to be you got to be a great wife. This is the woman who fears the Lord. Sisters, you want to be praised? Be a woman who fears the Lord. You want an incredible husband? Be a woman who fears the Lord. You want an incredible relationship? Be a woman who fears the Lord. What I respect about my wife is she fears God more than she fears me. She fears God. What I respect about the women in our church is their their fear of God, not man. That they could say, they could take Satan's greatest punch, whether it's physical violence that's happened to them, abuse, sexual abuse, that, 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 that's just rampant nowadays. And yet we have sisters that have overcome that and stand in the service of the Lord trusting God and saying, I want to be that woman. That fires me up. But we've got to be men who fear God. We've got to be women who fear God. And lastly, we've got to be a God-fearing church. Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to quote these passages to you. I'm going to read you some good news, and we're going to close out there. We've got to be people who fear God. Nothing else. God Almighty reigns. Revelations 3, verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive. But you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. And then he goes on. Look at verse 8. Church of Philadelphia. I know your deeds. Verse 15. Look at this next church. The church at Laodicea. I know your deeds. Verse 21. 
to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and the churches said. Amen. Right here, the God-fearing churches were known not by their, they were known by their deeds. A lot of times we want to just, hey, God knows my heart. He knows my heart. Yet the Bible says here, your deeds evidence your heart. What you do is who you are. What you do not do is who you are. <laughs> the church has got to be known for what we are doing. Our faith goal in London is for us to get to 100 disciples by the end of this year. That's our faith. Well, God wants it to be way bigger than that. We got 14 million people we got to save. We'll do it if we're a church that fears God. We got to be willing to look at our deeds and go, are we, are we, really, are we really giving everything we got to being that church that fears God? You know, I got to lift up some of our churches around the world. Not because they're, 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 they're because of their deeds that show they're a God-fearing church. You know, of course we have our church in Chennai, India. And uh, they said, you know, last Sunday we had an incredible Sunday with just 52 disciples and never having a broke 100 in attendance and yet having a prayer goal of 150, the Lord gave us 167 people in attendance. Raja says there were so many visitors that were coming to the faith. The church at Chennai is now organized in 10 Bible talks. And though they already have, and, and though they're organized in 10 Bible talks this year, they've already had 29 baptisms this year. That's a church that fears God right there. Amen. Amen. Los Angeles, California. Kip writes this. It says, during our trip and upon our, our, our return, we heard so much good news from L.A. as we were gone. Most excitingly, just five weeks of preparation, the City of Angels Church on November 4th blew out our five times Thanksgiving contribution, giving 112% of our goal. Thanks goes to our God and to those who inspired us. Joe Willis, Chris Broom, and all those in the L.A. region are the leader couples. Finally, so encouraging, this week the Lord has blessed us with six more baptisms, which give us a total of 402 additions thus far in 2012. 258 baptisms, 47 restorations, 97 place memberships, half of whom came from our former fellowship seeking revival because they fear the Lord right there. That's what's going on in Los Angeles. Mike Underhill, San Francisco. It is such an honor to watch God work miracles out of his love and faithfulness to us here in San Francisco. Of course, this is a brand new mission team that was just planted this year here in San Francisco. We've seen 15 additions in the last 14 weeks. Eight baptisms, four restorations, and three placed membership. And, re and today, a Latin woman was baptized here in San Francisco. Amen? Amen? But most excitingly is the good news that comes out of our church in New York to me. Andrew Smelly. The minister says, oh, afflicted city, lashed by storms. And we understand what's happened over there in New York, Hurricane Sandy. He says, oh, afflicted city, lashed by storms and comforted. I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. I'll make your battlements the rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls will be precious stones. All your sons and daughters will be taught by the Lord, and great will be. Your children's peace. Isaiah 54, verse 11 through 13. Greetings from the afflicted city of New York. 
On October 28th, 29th, the superstorm of Hurricane Sandy afflicted 20 million residents of New York City, leaving many without electricity, heat, or water. Almost a thousand homes were destroyed, leaving 41 New Yorkers lost their lives in this natural disaster. Particularly in Staten Island and Long Island, the homes of our shepherding couple in the church and several families, power outages and major flooding were rampant. The Chen and Riviera family along live in uh, Long Island, did not have electricity for almost two, three weeks. The O'Donnell family in Staten Island were forced to evacuate to a shelter as their car floated 100 yards away. Sadly, 15 of the 41 deaths attributed to Hurricane Sandy occurred in the O'Donnell's neighborhood, the shepherding couple for our church. Our hearts go out to the families of these people who still are coping with such a tremendous loss, and we pray that their hearts will be open to seek the Lord. The entire Metropolitan Transit Center Authority, which provides transportation, subways, buses, etc., to over 9 million New Yorkers every day was completely shut down for almost a week. And the lack of gas caused lines of cars for hours, severely limiting the ability for disciples in the church to reach each other or even travel. However, with these challenges, it did not stop us or deter the disciples who helped each other in the floodwaters, who helped each other get flood water out of their basements and stay focused on the mission. Despite such a tumultuous week, the spiritual temple of God's kingdom remains strong and has been forcefully advancing. Forcefully advancing as three precious stones were added to the church this November, or last November. The Sunday immediately following the storm, Carl, a freshman at the City College of New York, majoring in computer engineering, was baptized. John, a sophomore majoring in electronical engineering, was baptized. And Melissa, a single professional who works for Sloan Kettering Hospital, all rejoiced, even despite this hurricane, that they were all united in the waters of baptism. They were all converted, and they are your brothers and sisters. Those are churches that really are known by their deeds and are living in fear of the Lord. Are you guys with me right there? In conclusion, I want to challenge you as a church. Let us be known by our incredible sacrifice, our incredible deeds, our incredible hard work to building London. Now, we got two additions today. That is awesome. But I really believe there are scores and scores of people that can become disciples in the north. Scores of people in the east. Scores of people on the campus. And we got to get down to South London right there and get a great group going right down there. We've got to build God's church to God be all the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events or devotionals you can find all that on our website also once again we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one